0: Hey, Layton. how are you, Jenny? Good to see yeah, you. How are you? Good to see you.
1: So what is going on, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Complete Center's Guide Live edition. So thank you all for tuning in. Thank you, Dr. Layton Flowers, J.D. Martin, for joining us on this part two of our episode Divine Permission. And so back with me, my co-host, Joshua Davidson. What's going on, brother? How you doing, man?
2: I'm doing good, man. I'm actually having a really good afternoon. I had a walk through with one of the vice presidents of the mission and made a really thorough list of all the projects that I need to project forward for the the, the next year and the years coming and uh it, it was a day that felt like progress even though we all we did was walk around and talk we were really thorough and it was something where I feel like we established a lot so actually I actually have, I have, have a really good feeling about today
1: yeah, I'm I'm excited to have both J.D. back on for this part, too, and joining us, Dr. Leighton Flowers. So what's going on, guys? J.D., how's your week been going, man, since been, the last time you was on?
0: It's been going good. Thanks for having me on. God is good. I'm going to uh, preach at a homeless shelter coming up here in a few hours. So excited to talk to uh, Leighton Flowers and then go try to save some souls. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. Like, So we've got three. This is our first of three. Josh and I are going to do an episode later on the radio And then I'm going to do an episode with Jeremiah Body and Brandon Davidson on Mormonism and how to evangelize and just getting into a little of their theology, you know, where you can go to with in the Bible uh, to discuss different types of things. And hopefully, you know, lead these people to God, because everybody in this day and age, just seeing I hate watching the news, to be honest, guys, but just seeing little bits and pieces that I do like at work or whatever. It's scary. It's getting intense out there. And I think in this time, anyway, we need Jesus more than ever. And so but we're going to be discussing a little bit more about divine permission today. So Dr. Flowers was doing, you know, you released a couple of videos on divine permission. So kind of give us a, just a taste of where you're coming from, if you would, Dr. Flowers, um, just your perspective. How does it differ than JD's um, and just, yeah, how, how does that all work from
3: your view? Well, uh, as far as that, how it compares to J.D.'s, I am might let J.D. speak to that more, yeah. more so than me, because I'm not sure exactly where he stands on, all the, on the perspective. But uh, I did listen to your last podcast, and I, and I actually agreed with a lot of what J.D. concluded with regard to compatibilism uh, as being a form of determinism. Uh, and determinism, in, at least as far as I can tell, doesn't allow for the intervention of God, um, the permission of God in any real sense of the word. Um, I understand that Calvinists sometimes use the term intervention or permission. Um, we've heard people like James White and others talk about God thwarts their will or he restrains evil uh, using the word allowing and permitting, but what is he allowing permitting, intervening into if he is determining all things by means of a sovereign decree he seems he he would seem to be intervening into his own decreed will, thwarting or permitting his own decreed will using Jonah, for example, Uh, Jonah wanted to run to Tarsus. He did not want to obey the command of God. Uh, Why didn't he want to do that? Well, on Calvinism, God decrees whatsoever comes to pass, which would include the desire of Jonah to run. And then God steps in, intervenes using a storm and a big fish to intervene, to thwart that which he decreed Jonah to want to do. That, That just doesn't seem to compute with me. Now, maybe I'm just not bright enough to get it. Um, I I would probably conclude that I'm just not bright enough to understand it had it not been for conversations I've had with men like William Lane Craig and others on the same topic when it comes to theistic determinism. Because this is the quandary of theistic determinism that even uh, William Lane Craig talks about a a, a sense of vertigo setting in, a dizziness that sets in with regard to the the deterministic worldview and how we are to practically live our lives in a world where we are supposedly uh, determined or decreed by God to do every single thing we do, including every single thought, action, desire, everything is is in accordance with the divine sovereign decree of God. Uh, And therefore, the term permission doesn't seem to fit that worldview. And so what the Calvinists seem to have done is to create a category in which they can use the word permission, um, but it really means to cause. And so, uh, and I read articles from uh, Calvin himself referencing Augustine who ultimately comes to that conclusion that permission really is the same thing as to cause, uh, which is very much in line with what Jonathan Edwards talks about. He, he, does, he says, it's not bare permission. And when you begin to press and look into what he's saying, what is he saying? He's saying, well, God is permitting what he has decreed to take place. Mm-hmm. So what's the point? in even speaking of him permitting, of course, if he's decreed it unchangeably, he need to permit it. The decree is sufficient. You don't have to say he permits what he decrees. It's just redundancy that I think causes confusion and maybe placates those who are insisting that they don't want to make God the author of sin, don't want to blame God for moral evil and those kinds of things. And using the same vocabulary that we have, but uh, applying really a different dictionary as far as the the definition of the terms does cause people to kind of, you know, go along with it uh, maybe for a while. But I, I think when those of us start recognizing what they're saying and calling them out on it, eventually they're going to have to either change their language or people are going to come to understand what they really mean by it. Mm-hmm.
1: So let me ask you this just real quick, because I think J.D. and I don't honestly, I don't know where I stand on this, but does Calvinism inherently teach or or does it have to presuppose determinism in the sense that every single thing is determined um, including our desires, wants, wills, all these different things—is that inherently Calvinism, or is there different forms of Calvinism in that sense?
3: It is Calvinism qua Calvinism, meaning it was John Calvin's form of Calvinism. Cal- John Calvin was a theistic determinist, and so are the leading Calvinistic scholars. Um, all of the philosophical scholars that I'm aware of, anyway, who promote Calvinistic theology are compatibilistic or the theistic determinists. Sure. Um, and so, if if you're going to use that label, I think. It probably needs to comport with the philosophical, you know, issue of uh, you know, um, compatibilistic Calvinism. But sure. uh, but I understand there are men like Kokel, uh JD may fit in this category as well, and others who do uh, affirm libertarian freedom of the will to some degree at least. Um, but at the same time, hold to some of the basic Calvinistic uh, doctrines. Um, and and I I honestly don't. I, I, my brain can't wrap around that. I, I've tried, <laughs> desperately tried to understand well, how here, that fit, and I cannot.
2: Can, can I ask something for, uh, just, just for the sake of clarity? Cause we're basically, what, what you just restaged was, was very succinct. It was pretty much what we went over on the last episode, which is, that's a great yeah. recap for anybody that missed it. Um, yeah. But, but, but in general, one of the things that, uh, that, that Tyler and I have discussed, because I agree with you, Dr. Flowers, on a lot of this. And, and um, the, the thing for, Okay, for, for, the, for the sake of bringing out the, the clarity and, the, and what you call the point of, the point of contention, right, the, the thing that, that we're actually disagreeing on is ultimately, where does the permission fit in Calvinism? And let's say in the free will side, what has God determined? Is there something about you and your person and all that that God has determined as part of, let's say, his decree or his own decisive intervention or uh, interaction with reality when he made you? or me individually i believe that i have free will but i do believe there are things about me that i did not electively engage with to make happen they're just part of my person do you understand what i mean so what what god what did god determine on your view on the free will view that i share with you what did god actually determine where whereas we believe the permissive will would be in allowing us to have a freedom of the will we're the source of our decisions but what did god determine
3: well, God determined to create us as free agents. Uh, he created He created us in the image of God. He created us with human responsibility, the ability to reason, to deliberate. We're different than the animals in that regard. Uh, he created us with a conscience that's able to discern right from wrong according to Romans one and two. Um, and so he did determine to create us in such a way that we are able to make, I think, free responsible decisions that are morally accountable and could be other than what they are especially with regard to the gospel in other words when jesus offers us salvation through the gospel i believe we have the contracausal ability to accept and or reject that free offer of grace and and mercy and if we therefore reject it it's our fault not a lacking of grace or not a lacking of the sufficiency of the gospel or some other decision of God before we were ever born unilateral decision that we had nothing to do with. I I, I don't think we can put it off onto God that way. I think it has to come back to the the agency of man as the reason for their unbelief in order for them to truly be without excuse, as as mentioned by Paul there in Romans 120.
2: Okay. So then is there, would you say there is anything about you, your personality, um, your, your, um, let's say your, your, your birthplace and, and things like that. What, which parts of you and your life do you think that God did have a selective decision in? Because a lot of the time, uh, and this was something that JD brought up in the last episode is, uh, it's almost kind of like God, uh, gave us free will and then backed off and said, do, do what you're going to do and I'll be back later was kind of the thing that was illustrated in the other episode. So is there something where, because I don't believe that that's what happened. I believe that God is readily involved with a lot of things that have to do with me and my life and where I come from. And a lot of the things that, that shaped the person that I am, let's say uh, in a more uh, uh, personal sense, as an individual, God's invested in, in, in where I come from and, and a lot of things about me. What, where do you think that God, do you, do you follow what I'm saying?
3: Yeah. I, I mean, I think of acts 17, I don't have it on in front of me, but he, he talked about how he, he determines boundaries and numbers of days and these kinds hmm. of things. I mean, my my you know uh, you know a lot of the personality traits and things you might say god gifted me with this ability or that ability or you know you know gifted with my daughter with the ability to sing for example or you know whatever else that you may say that god has gifted us with but gifting us with something doesn't mean that he has determined how we will use the gifts he gives us obviously and so ah, there's a okay. sense in which you could say that god has determined to give us certain capacities but that we're still responsible for how we use the capacity he determines for us to have. Um, And there are things, I believe, within time and history that God has determined that will take place, like the crucifixion would be a good example of God intervening within time and space in such a way as to ensure the crucifixion of Christ and the redemption of sin uh the of pharaoh to bring about the first passover in the same way that he hardens Israel to bring about the second passover there are definitely things that are of god the inspiration of scripture is of god but that's why it's distinctly of god if everything's of god then it's not distinct you know and so yeah
0: so let me let me me jump in here if you don't mind Uh, i haven't said anything yeah (laughs) it's okay i was going to bring you on jd so no it's fine so (laughs) people accuse me of of misrepresenting uh the non-Calvinist view or, or some. Now, of course, the non-Calvinist view is huge. I find it always interesting that non-Calvinism can be as broad and as deep and as wide as anyone really wants to make it as long as they don't affirm the five points of tulip, but then Calvinism is some kind of handicapped to uh, a very limited system and you're kind of forced to hold on to the five points and this bigger system, which I find very inconsistent um, there. But But anyways, um, when I was talking about that view, I was saying that oftentimes I've heard, and I was accused of making a straw man, so we'll just ask at least Leighton Flowers' view here, of saying that oftentimes the libertarian, the hyper-libertarian, I would say the excessive libertarian, will have this view that God endows man with free will. All right, He creates a world. And then I believe, Leighton Flowers, you like to quote the verse that he has given this world to dominion. He's given humans dominion over this earth. All right. And then, so now, this seems to be the answer for theodicies. Why is it that this little girl gets raped? Why is it that this person over here has a, a skin disease? Why is it that this person over here is getting mugged and God's not intervening? And it seems to be the answer is often quoted by C.S. Lewis, is saying, well, if God gave you free will, he can't intervene every time you're about to do something bad, otherwise that is not giving you legitimate free will. If he's going to give you abilities to do good, he also has to give you abilities to do bad, and hence this is the, the theodicy of Um, of why these bad things happen. And so, to me, what I call that, it sounds like to me, this is a partial deistic view. Of course, it's not fully deistic. We recognize the crucifixion, recognize God is operating and working in the world. But it seems to have this view that God rarely, if ever, maybe besides a few instances of the cross or something like that, intervenes in the world. But other than that, he gives it over to man and basically says, good luck out there. Right. Don't worry. I will ultimately get the ship to the final destination, the new heavens, new earth. But this rape, this thing over here, don't blame me because I've given this over to men. So my question for you, Leighton Flowers, am I misrepresenting you? Am I mishearing what you're saying? Or is it, in fact, that every single action, including the rape of this little girl over here, is either, in this case, is certainly not caused by God, but it is certainly permitted by God. God could stop it. And potentially does stop things like this but he did not stop this particular instance because of some overarching good plan that he has
3: yeah i, I would say that deism um gives more of the you know set the ball a rolling and took off kind of a, a mindset at least that's what it's known to become everything could be caricatured to you know the, the furthest ends and that's i don't think any free will advocate is advocating that god has just left us uh, alone. Um, now, there are obviously instances that we see throughout Scripture where it seems like God's silent. You know, David praying, God, where are you? Um, it, where he has times of great uh, interaction with the Lord, and then other times when it seems like God's distant and He's not answering His prayers and He's not hearing from Him. I think we could probably all testify to times like that in our own journey. Um, and so, uh, there there is a sense I think in which God does remove His hand of protection, i.e., leave people on their own, even. Piper, I quote, as talking about the first fall of uh, Lucifer, and he speculates, reading from, I think, a passage out of Isaiah or Jeremiah, I can't remember what it was, where he talks about how very likely the Lord separated himself in some way from Lucifer, which gave rise to this intention or evil within him, um, which is exactly what we we describe as free will. It's an autonomous thing. It's a separateness from his holiness. Um, and, and and that's what we're, we're, we're saying is happening when, when, when God moves away and allows men to squander the inheritance, so to speak, to take his inheritance and go with it, to go into the far off country. He's, what is he doing? He's allowing us to be autonomous, a separate people to do our own thing. Uh, and we're going to be held accountable and responsible for the things we do. Now, I don't think that's a total handoff approach because he's indwelling the bride, He's working in and through yeah. the bride of Christ and uh, we the hands and feet of Christ, as it's often said. So he does work, but he chooses to work through the means that the Bible reveals that he works like his bride. And so um, to, to say that he is he's completely hands off, that would obviously be ignoring Romans eight twenty eight 28, that he's working currently present, active, currently active, working all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so, yes, he is actively overcoming uh Evil for his his people, he is bringing good out of evil circumstances to uh, to bring his will and his purposes to pass, Uh, and so he's always at work around us, and I think he's at work through us and in us, especially uh, believers. Yeah, but
0: Layton, just just so I'm clarifying though, so certainly when I say partial deism, I'm not saying that it's fully deistic. Of course, what I'm saying is that this is this is definitely different than like Randy Alcorn's view, my view that everything that happens is either caused or permit by God. That's everything. That's meticulous sovereignty, right? Every last action, every last deed, all of those things. And by the way, I mean, sovereignty as in the dictionary definition of sovereignty. That means in control. That doesn't mean cause. That's why I distinguish it from cause and permit, but every single thing. So I just want to press you, Layton. So that little girl right now who's being molested, right? And by the way, just can't... just
3: so the listen, those who are listening know, when we talk about the molestation, things like that, that sounds real emotive and mean, but uh, just so to, to defend JB, there, he's using the worst things that we can think of in our, you know, in our vernacular, sure. and so that that's yeah. something we talk about oftentimes in philosophical discussions. Yeah, this this comes I up. I'm not right trying, right to
0: be, right. trying to be trying to be insensitive yeah. to that horrible yeah, the, the whole point is that it's so horrible, right? Right. Um, right? That action. Can God? Is God permitting that action for some morally justified reason that is specific to that action, or? did God just simply give man free will? And what you're seeing is simply the consequence of that, right? He gave this horrible person free will over, and this person is simply just acting upon that. And God is just simply saying, you know, this is the consequence when men go wrong, but don't, I'm not permitting this general action. I've kind of given this umbrella permission over human beings, and then this is the result of what's going on here. Does that make sense of what I'm asking?
3: Yeah, Uh, and, and honestly, there, there's a lot we don't know with regard to how all of that works, but I think th- what the problem is in the English language when we use the word permit. Sometimes the word condone, or to um, somehow approve of, uh, comes through in that in that in that vernacular. And I, I think Calvinists are pretty quick to say, "No, God's not condoning, approving mm-hmm. of molestations." Um, so when you talk about permitting, what what is what is it that you're talking about? Are And that's why I think some theologians and philosophers are quick to say he does not intervene for whatever reason. He does not intervene. That's that's exactly what I mean. Mm -hmm. Um, He obviously uh, doesn't condone it. He obviously detests it. He obviously speaks out against it. He obviously says a man will not be, uh, God will not be mocked. A man will reap what he sows. So the molester will reap what he sows. Um, He will be held accountable. God will bring justice. God will bring all things to rights. Uh, and so uh, we we can hold on to that. Now we like immediate just justice, just justice just now. I mean, we want it now, and we want him to step in and stop things now. Because right. in our finite reasoning and the way we see things, um, we we we're not very patient, and we don't want God to to wait to bring justice to sure. evil. Um, and that's where I think that we're blind in the Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine sense, where we do wish God would intervene more uh, in our time and, and immediate, but. But to recognize, we do believe he will intervene, and he will do yeah. what's right, and he will bring justice. It may just not be in our time. And so so when you, people say, "Why that, doesn't God intervene?" we always, I always reply and say, "He he does, and he will. That, that do he just doesn't would, do,
2: it do time." Do you think? Do you think it might be useful then to say permission in the free will view would be withholding intervention?
0: Yes. Yeah, but I, I agree with that. I guess what I'm what I'm trying to yeah. press in on is that again, it seems that, I, I don't know if you're, uh, where you're coming at this, in Paulism. I'm still kind of confused, because we, we're both agreeing that God has given man a meaningful choice, as Randy Alcorn likes to say. He's given man contra-causal abilities to do certain things. And at certain times, he does intervene, right? You do agree that the Bible does give accounts where God does intervene. You think about Abimelech, he tried to rape Sarah, and God said that he prevented him. So God has not clearly not signed off some kind of rights to humanity that I'll never intervene with human behavior. He absolutely does do that. Um, I think the promise that you quoted already in Romans chapter 8, that he works all things together for good for those who love the Lord, implies that he intervenes. If something is going to happen to you that actually won't work out for your good, God has a whole army of angels and other means to prevent that. And I think that is what God does. In fact, that's what we pray for, right? If I say, God, uh, please, uh, traveling grace, traveling mercies, I'm sure Leighton Flowers, you've asked for traveling mercies. What are you really asking for? If you're not asking for God to intervene or some possible danger and an answer your prayer, he were to prevent something that otherwise would happen. Right. Even in James, it says that you have not because you ask not. So we have right. a God who certainly intervenes and interacts in, in all of our behavior. But but again, I think that I certainly have heard, and I don't know if you hold this view or not. Certainly have heard this view that man is given basically free roam around the earth. God's intervention is a very rare occurrence, right? You shouldn't. You really shouldn't expect God to intervene. So when this isn't happening, don't think that really God is, God has anything in this really. And I'm saying that I and others have a much stronger view of God's providence when when God says that not even a sparrow falls to the ground without the will of. Your father, how much more will he care for you? Again, this presupposes that God is actively involved in the world and intervening on our behalf.
3: Well, I would, I would just say I don't, I don't disagree that God is actively involved, intervening. I just don't think He's actively determining men's lustful desires, thoughts, and deeds. And mm-hmm. so, there's a sense in which, uh, on the deterministic side, God uh, can and does at times as was mentioned intervene to stop something that he doesn't want to happen because it could uh, intervene in his the lineage of christ for example or something mm-hmm. of that nature to where he intervenes to stop a particular race rape or molestation or something of that sort because of a particular plan or purpose that he has entailed but i think plantiga um one of the well-known philosophers does a really good job explaining that if you know where's the line drawn that where god can step in because if, if he stopped all molestations and all rapes, then, then we would be complaining that he didn't step in and stop, let's say, um, stabbings. Okay, well, maybe stabbings need to be taken out. So he needs to step in and stop stabbings. Um, and then we'd say, oh, well, he stopped stabbing. So he need, In other words, no matter how far the evil went, we would always be wanting to know why hasn't God stepped in to intervene to mm-hmm. stop whatever it is that that, that that particular world wants to see stopped. Um, all the way back
2: I mean, to
0: our intentions and our desires
3: yeah exactly exactly but i, I don't think determinism fi- defi- uh, finds a better answer uh in other well, words i don't i don't, I don't I think don't, i just don't uh, think determinism finds a better answer
0: i don't think determinism finds a better answer either but but he, when a when a, a a person comes to me as a pastoral ministry and says why did god allow my stepfather to do those things to me I'm not going to give the answer that you just gave. I don't think you're going to give that answer either in that, in that moment. I don't think you're going to say, I hope you wouldn't, um, I hope you wouldn't give the answer that God has simply decided that he is not going to stop fathers from abusing their children, because if he stops that, then where's the long drawn Is he going to stop all stabbings and all of this and all of that? I, I don't think that that really answers the question. And, and ultimately, as opposed
3: to he, he. Purposed and caused it for his own glory. I mean, no, the, no, not the, purpose and caused. Explanation, if I never said purpose and it. The point is, I know you don't, but the, the two views are determinism versus libertarianism. Either you're on one side or the other. If you believe with yes. libertarianism, then you need to be answering this question with us, not opposing the answer that I'm giving. And so, what I'm saying is that if I'm explaining to a a father who's had a rape daughter or something of that sort, it's horrible, and he's asking me for a <laughs> philosophical answer. And he's asking right. me those particular questions. Obviously, if I'm in a situation where he's just now going through this, I'm not going to get a philosophical discussion with him and just interject that kind of stuff. Right. But if he's coming to me and asking these kinds of things, then obviously I'm going to tell him exactly what I believe is true. And yeah. and I don't believe um, that my answer is, is a uh, something that I should shy away from. I don't have to be ashamed of it. Whereas I do think the determinist answer would be something I would be very uh, cautious to want to try yeah. tell him that God somehow causally determined it for the greatest glory of his own Goodness. Yeah. No, I, I definitely, I definitely
0: yeah. agree with you, Layton. I just think that there is another view in the middle of those two views, right? That there is, God caused your father to do this, and God simply has decided not to prevent fathers, which seems to be patently false, that God does in fact stop people from doing wicked things, and we have accounts in the Bible, and we pray for God to do that all of the time. Mm-hmm. So I think in between those two positions is, no, God did not cause your father, Determinism And God did not simply just give the keys over to man, extreme libertarianism, but there is a view in between that says that God permitted this for some ultimate good outcome. And when you get to God, he will have an explanation. Go ahead. Go
1: Let ahead. me ask you guys both this real quick. Could that ultimate reason be that God intervenes in some aspects and not others to make us more like Christ, that that situation in some sense will make us more like Christ? even if it is evil happening to us
0: yeah i think that's certainly i mean i so i like what philosophers say here that i don't have to provide the morally justified reason for some heinous act to happen right mm. i i don't have to come up with that and i can come up with many but i don't know if any of them are right all i have to posit yeah. is that god does have a morally sufficient reason for allowing evil in general and that specific evil and i think that that is so much more pastorally comforting for people to know that yes, God was there, yes, he was powerful, yes, he could stop it, but God permitted this for some ultimate good. And if you're a believer, you have that promise in Romans 8, it's not just some ultimate good out here, but you're good.
3: And why, why do you you're think good. that's different than what I believe,
0: JD? I, no, I, I'm, I'm trying to get clarity. It, it sound, If you do agree with that, that that specific act was allowed and God could stop and does stop specific acts like that for that person's good, then hallelujah right we are in the same we're right. on the same page here the
3: the 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 thing is is that just because he doesn't intervene to stop a purpose a purpose that is evil so in other words a, a molester's purpose for doing his thing is a lust okay yep. so lust is not from the father so we can all agree it's not god doing it it's not mm-hmm. god causally determining it Amen. for this person's good but god does not intervene now does that yep. does that mean therefore god has a specific purpose in not intervening to allow this rape, therefore he must want or condone or have a purpose, specific purpose for that rape. Not necessarily, we don't know that. We just know that he didn't intervene. Now his purpose in giving man free will in the the begin with, this is why I got in the debate I did with James White because he kept saying, well, it's purposeless evil. I I can never say that word right, purposeless Mm -hmm. evil. and, and we're saying, no, it's it's free will has a purpose. The purpose is that we have real responsibility and true agency, which is necessary for real relationship and love, as C.S. Lewis and others argue. And so there is a purpose in men having freedom. The purpose that they have is an evil purpose. The fact that God doesn't intervene to stop all evil purposes and all evil actions of all evil men also has a purpose. doesn't mean that the individual act of every individual creature That does their evil purposes has a direct purpose in God for him to say, okay, I'm going to do this or not do this. So when God, when.
0: When God doesn't, so this is why I find it perplexing, Like, and It sounds like we agree, and then you go on to say some things that sound like you actually disagree once again. And they're saying that He just gave man general free will and that is His purpose. I mean, to me, well, if no, I, we think, say, I think, what, if, I think if,
2: what Dr. Flowers was trying to explain is that if you take the question further back than an anecdotal in, in a specific instance, right, yeah. it's not circumstantial if you're using the broad scope of humanity and the presence of evil as the whole like sin's existence is evil it's deviation from god's divine intent how did that occur without permission in the first place and so i think what you're talking about is permission in the broader scope like you just mentioned free will and then the idea of theodicy being more specifically applied to every individual instance to say god must have uh moral morally justifiable reasons for not intervening at any given moment for any given sin. Yes, whereas Leighton is is just broadening the 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 application of that exact same conclusion all the way out to every individual choice at all times by all agents to say, yeah, so all of that is permitted for morally justifiable reasons in the individual case and at the larger level of resolution.
0: Well, let but, me, I'll just ask, I'll just ask Leighton. so I certainly, so we agree, Joshua, and at least I, I know Leighton, we agree that theodicy, free will theodicy, which even R.C. Sproul used, is really the, at least one of the most important ingredients to have a theodicy of why there's evil. If there was no free will, there would be simply no evil. If we lived in a completely causally determined world, which is possible, then there would at very least be no evil. The very fact that there's evil shows that there are other wills out here where God permits that evil comes about. So we're 100% agreement on that broad spectrum, right? What what I I don't know if we're in an agreement. And if you some you've asked me like why would I think you disagree? I don't think there's anything about what I'm saying that your position requires you to disagree on, right? There's nothing about non-Calvinism that requires you to disagree about.
3: You might be taking JD. You might be taking one extra step to say that. If God, in a specific instance, let's say Susan is molested, yeah, um, and the and you're you're trying to find out, okay, is there a specific purpose as to why God did not intervene to stop Susan's molestation? Yeah, I can't know that. You can't know that. So for you to step in and say there is a specific purpose as to why God did not step in to stop that evil is to speculate beyond what the scripture reveals. You're, well, you're speaking well that, for God, and it may yeah. not be. Well, that is that's
0: certainly, that's certainly the debate um, of, I, I don't think, so I think it's speculation to say what that good thing is, right? But, and and this is where I see that a lot of Calvinists, because the term compatibilist is confusing for people, right? Oftentimes what they're really saying when they're saying compatibilism, because they're not people who study philosophy all day, okay? They don't have PhDs, they don't, read those books, they read the Bible, and maybe a few theological books, usually at the popular level, isn't that, and that's about true. So what they're hearing, generally speaking, is causal determinism, God's the puppet master, well that's the hyper-Calvinist view, I don't agree with that, and then the liberta- extreme libertarian view, God just gave man free will and said, here you go, have fun, right? And then my view, which is in between, and they're saying, this is the view that I hold, and um, I think that this is the view that's found in the Constructive Principle.
3: Those extremes, those both extremes, are probably non-existent. They're both straw men because I don't think any Calvinist would obviously use the puppet master analogy and no. Well,
0: libertarian but, but all theist, uh,
3: all existence. libertarians
0: would all accuse, of us in the middle of those two things. All all libertarians would accuse the actual causal determinist who believes that God actually causally determines everything and in fact teaching the puppet reality, right? If God is ultimately causing you every thought, every action, every deed. Meticulously, then you are a self-conscious puppet. I mean, the fact that they don't present their view that way doesn't change the fact that that is true.
2: Okay, so then, so then I, I guess uh, for for JD here, um, where because what you what you're describing that you agree with, right? What you're describing that you agree with is virtually what what I myself or what Leighton would would describe as the generalized theodicy of why. God is not guilty for the existence of evil and why evil is not uh, contradictory to the existence of a good God. This is ultimately the purpose of the theodicy in a general sense is for the, the, you know, the explanation, why the evil, if God is all powerful, all knowing and all good, then why the evil? The answer would necessarily be the separation that is illustrated by what you're describing here. So then how far does that... How far does that separation go in terms of your application of things? Because uh, it, it's not necessarily the case that we can say anything is more or less reliable because most people that are in that category think of it this way. It's like there are a lot of people who are uninformed about most of what we're talking about. And that doesn't yeah. make what they believe any more or less reliable. They're just No, that's uninformed. true.
0: Th- that's so absolutely that not true. Not
2: knowing better isn't isn't necessarily a good no. thing. Well, no, I don't I think I don't think that to get more 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 clarity on on where you think the line necessarily draws, because you have said that you 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 apply a form of compatibilism to the scripture when you're interpreting in order to arrive at your conclusions or at least support the conclusions that you have arrived at. And if I'm yeah. misunderstanding that no I'm misunderstanding that. But I do remember you saying that you agree with a form of Compatibilistic freedom, as defined okay. by compatibilism, the greatest desire at any given moment present in your will. You so let me, will let, me, give, let, me that. let me
0: let me give some clarity, Joshua. Um, so you're right. It's one way to say, well, those those average uh, Calvinists that I'm talking about who misunderstand the term compatibilism and think that compatibilism means God's sovereignty or divine meticulous sovereignty is compatible with human free will and mm-hmm. um, moral agency, right? that these people, you can just pat them on their head and say, so sorry for you. You really don't understand any better. But but the reality is, is that these are people who are Christians that are, are born again believers mm-hmm. that are convinced of the five points of, of TULIP. And that's why they ascribe to Calvinism. And when they read in books that say that compatibilism is divine sovereignty uh, and that strong view of God's providence that I am presenting in comparison to the extreme libertarian view. And they believe that is compatible with human free will and moral agency. Wow. That is, a, that is what they are saying, right? That is their view. So if we define compatibilism as in everything is permitted or caused by God, God never uh, causes evil, moral evil of human creatures, but always permits that for some morally sufficient reason, even in the individual case, mm-hmm. right? And that that is compatible with regular free will and moral responsibility, then you can, in that sense, that is what I think the vast majority of people who are Calvinists actually believe right it's they have never heard of the term causal determinism and when they do and leighton flowers <laughs> can probably testify to this they say you're misrepresenting me <laughs> right they're okay. saying that you you're misrepresenting my view that you don't understand my view you're trying to make me say that i believe in hard okay. determinism and you have this weird conversation Look, where you try to explain to what, me what me. these terms actually mean
2: okay but, but what is i i guess um and and um, just just a second, Dr. Flowers, because I think this is an important sure. thing. No. Um what 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 exactly is your view then, particularly you, not the people that don't read what we're talking about, like you specifically. Yeah. You you have said that you believe that compatibilistic freedom is sufficient to explain at no. least the unbeliever. How do no. you draw oh, okay, the line? I see.
0: Of God's permission
2: because the unbeliever is the one in your category that is full of evil in a significant way that is distinct from the believer or from Adam and Eve in the garden. And so their freedom, as defined by the the compatibilistic freedom of choosing whatever greatest desire is present in the will at that moment, why is that will using its greatest desire and why is that desire present? Where does permission fit into that arena
0: there? Okay, so I'm glad you asked that. So some clarity here. When I said that um, compatibilism fits nicely with the reprobate, with the unbeliever, right, Uh, whose nature is evil and they only do evil, what I was saying is in my journey to understand compatibilism and libertarian free will, when I looked at what compatibilism said, which is that you do your greatest desire as far as compatibilistic free will, and I looked at the reprobate, I said, okay, that kind of works. And I looked at God, right, God is nature is pure and holy and his greatest desire is to do good, and he only does good, I said that kind of works. And I looked at holy angels now and uh, glorified saints, I said that, that kind of works. But then when I looked broader, because compatibilism is determinism and determinism is holistic, I realized that it simply does not work, right? Also, the issue of being determined to do evil. That is also a very big problem, which I utterly deny. That I utterly deny that God would ever determine someone to do evil. Now, when I use the word determine, I mean cause. God is never causing you to do evil. He only permits evil to happen. So right? the, for, where does religion. the
2: evil come from, if not free will?
0: The agent. The agent is bringing about the evil.
2: Okay, so right? you are talking about source libertarianism then.
0: Yeah, source li- and contra-causal free will.
2: Okay, fair enough.
0: So yeah, I have, I have their... no problem with that.
1: So J.D., from their heart, the evil stems from, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, there's a mystery, though, because because before they had evil hearts, you know, there was somehow sin came into the world through the devil and through man and all of that. Um, but yes, the flesh is something that currently today is evil, um, and they acquiesce to that. But there is a, a deeper level there of how evil ever came into the world that is really a mystery that we so, just simply don't know.
1: So let me ask you both this, then. After the fall, post-fall, is there a difference in our will versus what Adam had, or is it completely the same that wasn't affected by the fall?
0: I'll let Lane answer that. I'll answer after you.
3: Well, in the same way that a good person like Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve were declared as good, that doesn't mean they were completely um, without, that doesn't mean they were perfect. In other words, they were mutable. They were able to fall, obviously. Sure. So they're not They're not on God's level of perfection by any means, but they. they were... They were not fallen, and they were not sinful. They were innocent, if you could, if you put it that way. And so they were, even by the Westminster Confession, London Baptist Confession of Faith, with Calvinist even talk about how they weren't uh, determined by nature to do either good or evil, but they it, it describes them as libertarianly free, that they mm. were not uh, determined by anything outside themselves to to make the choice that they made. Mm. And if it's if it's plausible for us to understand the mystery of how a good person could make a bad choice when tempted by an outside agent like lucifer then how much more so could we maybe recognize that a corrupt nature when confronted by a good source like the gospel from god the holy spirit might be able to make the right choice in other words if if you can adopt the mystery of the free choice in the garden to do an evil thing a good nature doing an evil thing when tempted. How much more so can we at least understand the mystery of how someone who is a, a corrupt person may do the right thing by repenting and believing when confronted by a good person i.e god through the bride in other words the same mystery that jd is appealing to with regard to the free will of man to fall is the same mystery we're appealing to with the free will of man to repent when confronted with the gospel and to just assume that that they don't have the freedom of the will to repent when confronted with the gospel without strong biblical evidence for it Mm -hmm. It seems to me to be strange. If nothing else, it just seems like there should be a very, very stark, clear indication from scripture to say, Hey guys, you're, you're, the people are fallen. Not only is there labor pains, not only is there toiling of soil, but you're going to be born haters of God who cannot even, cannot even respond positively to his own appeals to be reconciled from that fall. Mm-hmm. Unless you were unconditionally picked before you were born and irresistibly caused to do so. It seems like that would have come up somewhere in the scriptures. And it's just, yeah. there's, it's just never explicitly laid out. It, it's pulled in from cooperating texts that are, I think, cobbled together and misinterpreted, obviously. Yeah. And, and that's why I'm saying Calvinism just doesn't have a leg to stand on, I think, when you understand the basis of where their proof texts are ultimately going. In my estimation, yeah.
0: let me, can I take a stab at that title real quick? Yeah, go ahead. Um, so what I will say is that um, I, I agree with Layton Flowers principally that if somebody is assuming that an evil person simply could never respond positively to a good message, then I think Layton Flowers makes an absolutely excellent uh, point here. And again, I think some people demonize Layton Flowers unnecessarily. Right? <laughs> you can't say anything possibly right. Uh, no, no, that's an excellent point. Um, that Adam and Lucifer show that even a good nature can fall, and it makes sense that if a good nature can fall, then maybe a bad nature can cooperate with God and be restored. I mean, that's perfectly reasonable, and for someone to assume that is is very deeply problematic. Well, I'll say though, I think like if I was a little bit on there, um, assuming that non-Calvinist or Calvinist should I say just simply think, oh, that's not possible, and then. And then, you know, don't have any scriptural text or, or simply just like fudge the scriptural data to make it agree to that. I don't really think that is the case. The fact of the matter is, um, if the Bible teaches that people are slaves to send, if anyone sends, they are a slave to send, for example, um, which, of course, I agree. And I was already thinking slaves just because you're slave doesn't mean you can't want to not be a slave, which is absolutely true. Unless the Bible teaches that their slavery is such that they can't want. It. So you you need uh, it, it's the Bible not never says that. <laughs> Well, Sorry. We, maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. Um, but, it's all how you interpret it. Well, exactly. It is how you interpret it. I was just looking at a passage in uh, First, Corinthians, First Corinthians chapter 2 that says the natural man does not uh, receive the things of the Spirit, for they are folly to him. He cannot understand them, for they are spiritually discerned. Now, I even gave an explanation where that doesn't necessarily uh, teach a Calvinist position, That there is a non-Calvinist explanation, but at face value, you could see why a reasonable person would think, yeah, that actually does, in fact, teach uh, man in, in his fallen nature is unwilling, right? He's perpetually unwilling, and in this sense, he is unable. So, to me, the question isn't just a priori whether he can respond or he can't, and I would agree, if we don't have any scriptural data to suggest he can't respond, then we should assume that he can't, right? But if we do have some some text, uh, and Leighton Flowers, of course, has, and it's for the Calvinists to study and to see if Leighton Flowers has made a more convincing case than the Calvinists, that these scriptures, like 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and others, in fact, do teach inability. Which, interesting enough, and well, um, but real quick, the last thing—interesting enough—that the vast majority of non-Calvinists have agreed that man has a natural inability, right, a natural unwillingness, and that's why they need prevenient grace. So in, in, in historically speaking, in this category, at least, Layton Flowers is actually on the outside here, and he is the very minority of opinion here when it comes to uh, Protestant.
3: Yeah, I mean, belief. the difference is between the instrumental aspects of the prevenient grace. I mean, I, I believe that God can work through human means, and those human means are sufficient, whereas a, a, a Abishano or some other Arminian would just say that there's some other working of grace besides that, which is accomplished through the instrumental working of grace. So it's it's a distinction without a difference, ultimately, because we're both saying that God's grace is sufficient for man to respond positively to it. And so it, it, that, that well, one a, does presuppose total depravity.
0: One does. Isn't that right, Lowers? One does presuppose total depravity and prevent grace is the solution. And one does rejects total depravity, i.e. your position. Yes. And so you don't the need that. Prevenient grace.
3: Yeah, the classical Armenian. Uh, which Arminius was raised in Geneva underneath Calvinism. He does presuppose the concept of total inability from birth, i.e. you cannot respond positively to God without some kind of inner ontological change of nature, partial regeneration, Roger Olson refers to it as, those kinds of things.
0: Well, no, but even the regular Arminian, though, the idea of prevenient grace makes no sense. Why do you need a grace before salvation that opens your heart and enables you to believe if you already have the ability to believe so i mean all have
3: the ability to believe you something you have not heard how will they believe in one whom they've not heard as that's true for every message that is an inability so we do all have an inability to be saved apart from the truth being revealed and that's not what they that's not what they mean let me let me finish and you can't understand and hear truth if you've grown hardened and calloused to the point where you have been cut off from that truth, which is the condition of most of Israel during the first century. And so many of the Armenians and Calvinists, in my estimation, have adopted this worldview where they take passages, which are obviously, in my estimation, about people who are hardened and calloused, have ears but no longer can hear, are ever seeing and never perceiving. That's not a condition from birth. It's never spoken as a condition from birth. It's always spoken of in regard to Israel who has grown calloused and hardened and is now being cut off and blinded in their rebellion. And so when you assume that that's a condition from birth as the classical Arminian and the Calvinist does, then yes, I'm going to call you out on it, but that doesn't change the fact that both of us, Arminians and provisionists, believe that the grace that God provides, whatever it may be, is sufficient for the, the lost person to respond positively to that grace we may we may disagree as to instrumental factors and ways in which god's grace is revealed but But, but would
0: you would you it seems to me though because i don't want to pick up on this uh, i picked up on this you said that you cannot respond to a message that you don't hear and that's an inability well yeah i agree right. right obviously you can't be coming to my house for a dinner that i've invited you to if i haven't invited you yet, right? That you haven't yes, received the invitation. Yes, but if you invite me,
3: but if you do invite me, is it intuitive for you to believe that I have the ability to respond to that invitation? Of course well, it is. Just or like you, provide, oh, or you provide
0: the means with prevenient grace. You provide the means alongside of the invitation. But all I'm saying right. though, is, but, when, but when, Arminians, is when, when Arminians say that there's prevenient grace, they mean much more. I just want to represent them fairly. They mean much more than you need a message to respond to. They mean that you have this sinful nature that's inclined toward evil that needs to be overcome by God's grace and without some a special of them, means of God's grace. Some of them grace. believe,
3: yes, some of them believe that and they are wrong to do so okay. um, because <laughs> but, Paul's, what, and, and just, just to get this <laughs> out, when Paul asked the question, how can they believe unless anybody, somebody preaches to yeah. them? The implicit answer is they can't, Amen. but if they do preach to them, then they can. That's the implicit answer. And and there's the assumption that, oh, if someone preaches to them, they really can't hear it. They really can't spiritually see it. When that is actually the inability to see, hear, and understand in turn is not a condition from birth. It is a condition of someone who's grown hardened and been cut off in their rebellion. Yes, but
0: that, that that, that scripture that you quoted, you're absolutely right. How can they hear unless someone is sent, right? Of course that you cannot respond to a message without hearing it. But there's other texts like John 6 it's all that the father draws no one can come to me unless the father draws him and so and, and what's the that, means
3: and what's the means by which the father draws men
0: well if part of that is part of that the is world. the holy spirit that goes and convicts the which world sin, righteousness comes and down, judgment
3: which comes, it comes down, down in conjunction after he's raised up which he says when i'm raised up i will draw all men to myself so what does he do when he's raised up he's raised mm-hmm. up and he commissions the gospel to go forth to all yes. people to draw all men to himself baptizing them in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit that great commission doesn't happen until after calvary and he ascends. yes but the holy spirit that the ministry to draw and the holy spirit to draw and the bride to draw until he's ascended until he's raised up yeah so are you so just
0: just to get some clarity here though so are you saying that the holy spirit did not draw anybody until after pentecost because that, that is radically different than my, my my theology and I think most Arminians' theology that would say the Holy Spirit has been drawing people to the gospel from the beginning, right? That There's never He's, been a time Jesus, the Holy Spirit wasn't drawing people.
3: Jesus, while he was down from heaven, had a chosen few that he revealed himself to. He did not entrust himself to all of them, James chapter 2. But he mm-hmm. spoke to them in parables, lest they see, hear, understand, and turn so as to be forgiven. He only revealed his identity to a select few. All Jews, all to be his apostles. He spoke to others in parabolic language, saying, Eat my flesh and drink my blood. He kept them in the dark. He revealed it to the babes, the fishermen, the no names, and hid it from the wise and learned. Mm -hmm. The gospel doesn't even go to the Gentiles until after the white sheet is let down and Peter has his dream and he goes to Cornelius and Paul is called to a minister to the Gentiles. Mm -hmm, Until then, it's only going to the Jews. It goes to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. He grants repentance Mm -hmm. first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles by sending them the message of repentance. But so like David in
0: the Old Testament, was he drawn? Elijah in the Old Testament, was he drawn? Were the people in the Old Testament drawn by the Holy Holy Spirit? By By revelation, yes. Not by the Holy Spirit, are you saying?
3: The Holy Spirit uses means of revelation, doesn't
0: he? Let me uh,
2: let me let me intervene for you for a second, uh, because this is um, I I think I think we're getting on a rabbit trail about total depravity. Um, The the initial the initial question is ultimately about, um, you know, the the idea of divine permission in the ultimate sense and in the particular sense. Um, Total Mm -hmm. depravity ties into that, because when we talk about the unbeliever that will remain an unbeliever. In the Calvinistic system, it is because God, as 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 I believe you're you're going to say, J.D., withheld intervention for those people. No, no, no. Then how did then then no. I'm confused. I really reject how, that. How how then would would you would 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 it be insured?
0: What no, is God doesn't. You saying it's insured? I, I guess when, what I'm asking. When you is say insured,
2: gravity is the condition of of every human being from the moment of conception, and their Unable to do what?
0: No. Okay. So total depravity is a description, not a cause, and that's very important to understand. Uh, otherwise, you get no, into. No, I'm asking a...
2: when does the de- when does the depravity begin? Is it at the well, moment? Well,
0: the, of the birth depravity. Birth? Jesus said, "If whoever sins becomes a slave of sin." So, so with the consent. doctrine of original, with the doctrine of original sin, and I don't want to get lost in that because that's a real rabbit trail. We don't have time to get back to. Is I believe that everyone participated in the sin of Adam. Right. right but that's and not so what I'm that's not what I'm asking. I'm yes. But I'm saying the depravity, the depravity begins itself, as, as when as you, you send
2: is something that you are born with. Right. No, I don't.
0: I don't like the I don't like that term because, again, it sounds like you're trying to make total depravity a cause instead of a description. So no, Jesus said asking, that when, when you
2: when do you begin to be totally depraved? Because Dr. Flowers said that this is a condition you can go into become depraved to the point. Well, no, where he's no talking about he's respond. talking about
0: hardening. He's talking about right. and I don't believe people How are born hardening. How
2: do you distinguish hearty. that from the depravity? Is that something that you're born with, or is it something that develops over time in your character?
0: Okay, so what I'm trying to what I'm trying to answer, Joshua, is Jesus said, "Whoever sins is a slave to sin." So even if I go full Pelagian right now, the very first time you sin, if it's at two years old, then you become a slave of sin. Now I don't. That's why I brought it back to original sin. But we can just skip back that. The first time you sin, whenever that, whenever you think that is, you become a slave to sin. Okay? OK, that's what Jesus says now. But that's not that's not total depravity, is it? That is slavery to sin. Now, as you become as you sin more and more, you become more and more hardened to your sin. Right. So it's a and you become
2: developmental process.
0: So, OK, I guess here's, here's, what I'm trying to, here's what I'm trying to say. Yes, of course, it's a, yes, it is a developmental process if you become more and more wickedly wicked and depraved. Now, what we're talking about really, though, is whether or not the unregenerate man who's a sinner, who's a slave to sin, when presented with the gospel, will he respond positively or not? It depends on where he is in
2: that progression, right? That well,
0: if, if, Calvin, if that's true, Joshua, then what you're really saying is, so there's a point where he can positively respond, right? Whether that's because of prevenient grace or because of his natural ability. If that is true, if a single person positively responds to the gospel um, in that unfallen condition, then Calvinism is completely unnecessary. Unconditional election is completely necessary. Nobody and and, and t- it's false. And it's false. What I'm saying is that for Calvinism to work at all, it has to be that somehow, and this is where the mystery comes in, I know Langlois don't like mysteries, <laughs> but somehow <laughs> you have to have everybody reject the gospel that they could have otherwise believed in. Okay. And, and, and once that step happens, that's why God now has anthropomorphically a decision to make. He can condemn all humanity, for their sin and rejection of Jesus, or he could decide to, at this point, unconditionally elect some and woo them over, give them extra grace, ensuring that these people will believe.
2: So then, is that something that they're born with, or is it something that develops over time?
0: Their sinfulness? No,
2: their inability to believe.
0: No, I think, I don't, when I say their inability to believe, I'm describing someone's perpetual stubbornness. I don't see these people as being blind people who cannot see, deaf people who cannot hear. What I see mm-hmm. these people as stubborn people who close their eyes to what they do see. And that is the gradual okay. process that Layton Flowers is talking about of hardening, of going and closing your eyes. You see the light, but you stubbornly close your eyes because you refuse to come what, to the light unless you're- let, let me- summer,
3: Yeah, Go ahead, go ahead, brother.
1: Let no. me just ask you this, guys, just real quick how hard does a heart have to be in order to think the gospel is foolish? Because first Corinthians says one says that those who are perishing the gospel or the message of the cross is foolishness to those people. And so my question is for both of you guys, how hard does a heart have to be in order to think the gospel is foolish? Because I like your analogy going to JD's party, Dr. Flyers, if you thought that was a foolish choice though, you wouldn't go. And I think that's what JD's saying is that in our natural state, we yeah. think the Gospel's foolish.
3: well, if you look at First Corinthians, he's comparing the wisdom of the world with the revelation from God. okay? Mm-hmm. So those who rely upon the wisdom of the world, like the Corinthian people were known to do, they will deem the cross as foolish. Therefore, you should listen to the wisdom that's from the Father that's revealed by God, not the wisdom of the world. He's not saying that all people, naturally, without any control because they're born with His nature and they just have to stubbornly reject the gospel, uh, they can accept the Quran and all of its weird claims and Mormonism and all its weird claims. You can accept all these other weird claims of the world, but you can't accept the claim of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the cross of Calvary. Why? Because of a natural condition you were just born with uh, because of the fall of Adam. Uh, Adam sinned and all of us were born with this uh, this description, as J.D. wants to call it. He wants to just call it a descriptor, not a cause. OK, what caused us to be born with that descriptor, if not the decree of God? If not, God deciding that when Adam sins, all of us will be born with this um, innate stubbornness that will not only be uh, addicted to sin, but unable to even confess that when he brings us the law and the gospel, calling us to reconciliation from that addiction to sin. Mm-hmm. And that's where that's where I, I just think Calvinism goes too far by, by taking away, in my estimation, the blameworthiness of the man by s- suggesting that they can't do anything about it, that this is a condition they were born into. They were either elect yeah. or reprobate from birth. They either have this innate stubbornness that they really can't control because of the nature they were born in, inherited from Adam, or they're given this new nature, which removes their stubbornness to cause them to want to come to Christ. And, And how JD thinks that that's not just the same determinism as the compatibilistic determinism that everybody else is affirming, I don't know. I don't understand how you can hold to the T of Calvinism and the I of Calvinism well, and even the you of Calvinism for that matter, because you have to have the election in there uh, as the choice of God, um, that you, you've got, you're born this way according to tor- total inability, and you're reborn this way according to irresistible grace, the I. That's the T and the I of TULIP. Mm-hmm. That is, for all practical purposes, compatibilistic determinism. And, and I don't know how one can say, I am, a, I am a Calvinist, but I don't affirm theistic determinism while at the same time trying to say i do believe total inability is true and irresistible grace is true for the unconditionally elected ones that that does not can i
0: can i answer that real quick so um a couple things there one that last point um you can be a theological determinist which the many calvinists are and not be a determinist right and i always try to point that out is you can believe that you are determined to uh causally determined to believe in jesus but not causally determined to pick your nose two minutes ago I mean, there's just absolutely no logical connection. And Leighton Flowers, you you know that, and and or at least I, I don't know if you know that, but you should know that. And you often bring it in your conversations. You say, well, you know, you start talking about not just salvation issues when you attack determinism, you go into all these other issues. So it seems that you do understand that determinism is holistic and not simply related to soteriology. But to answer the, the question about the T and the U and the I, in my view, again, it's not simply that adam the guy who you're not just you get the bad deal of taking on his sin no i don't believe that Uh, but even like i said even if i adopt a full-on pelagian view we all believe that you yourself sin right you yourself not adam you sin and Mm -hmm. as such you become addicted to sin you are a slave to sin Mm -hmm. whatever it means that you are dead in sin that's what the bible describes your condition Right? right. So that and person I disagree with that. Okay. Real amen. quick,
1: real quick, real quick. Do you guys believe everyone right now other than Christians are a slave to sin? Like no matter how old, how hard they are, is everyone. Everyone might, who's sinned, yes, yeah, amen.
0: Okay. I I'm sure they do too. I can't imagine them not, right? We preach the gospel yeah, no, for all I mean, have sinned I, and fall I, short I of the glory me. of God.
2: I don't have a problem with yeah, that. I mean, I, yeah,
1: but the it, different... Just real quick, the difference though, JD, you would say like for example, my daughter, my my sixteen month old daughter Kelsey, yeah. she sinned in Adam, therefore she's guilty. Doctor Flowers, it, it, I don't, I mean, my little girl's a sinner, but just I, I've seen her go crazy over little yeah. things. But 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 before all that, even whenever she was born, JD, you would still say that she's a sinner in Adam. Doctor, I, I think there's
0: because, there's a mysterious. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Tyler. I think there's okay. a mysterious way, and I don't want to get lost in that because I still want to get to that T in the U and the I. Right. Uh, but there is a mysterious way in which we participated, or at least Adam perfectly represented us in the garden as such that we inherit a sin nature. Now, there is a point of time though, there's a distinction between your daughter and I think late flowers and all the rest would agree receiving a sinful nature and then sinning. Since I don't want to get lost in that. The fact that your daughter and everyone else with the sin nature has sinned, is all I need. Okay, that's all I need is they sinned. So at the point of them sinning, they become addicted to sin and they love sin. Okay, and for any Calvinistic system and to work, can't,
3: and they can't confess that fact even when confronted. No, I, I don't believe that.
0: I, I don't oh, believe the word. Well, can't. then you're not a Calvinist. Okay, well, you can say that. You're not uh, a Calvinist uh, by definition I'll, of the church. Well, we'll see if you agree with that in a second. So that they love their sin at this point, right? and they can believe in the gospel the problem is free will that's really the problem the problem is these people have free will and they love their sin. it's the same problem why the drug addict who has free will right continues to go back to the drugs if he's truly an addicted drug addict to drugs no matter how much you beckon him at least for some individuals they refuse to come and i think that that is the condition of uh, what was right.
3: that? Some some actually, so, when confronted, check themselves well, that, in the rehab, saying, saying "I can't true. stop myself," and they may say, "I can't stop myself, but yes. I need help." And when somebody comes to offer them the help, they can humble themselves and submit to the help they're offered. That's exactly what we think the gospel is doing to yes. slave sinners. The gospel, the gospel is coming. The gospel is coming to enslave sinners and saying, "You're enslaved. You're dead and in bondage to your sin. Here's your only hope. Here's your only way out." you must humble yourself and trust in me and I will help you. Just like the drug addict has to trust in the intervention of his family and check himself into rehab. That doesn't mean yep. he can do it on his own. He can't. He's admitting he can't do it on his own. He's humbly admitting he can't stop on his own. That's what yep. a sinner is doing. You
0: know, I have, no, I have Calvinism, no problem. I, Calvinism, what Calvinism I, I have is no, saying- I have no problem that with that, Flowers. People cannot,
3: can, people
0: no, I, cannot I'm at least
3: willingly, cannot willingly desire to humble themselves and submit to the gospel and appeals of, of the yeah, law. Well, the I, I will tell you,
0: you have to address each individual even, even Calvinist. The Holy Spirit can and not, what, no. what I'm saying, what I'm saying, what I'm saying work. is that the people, it's not that the people can't, as in they are blind, as in they are deaf, but the fact that they will not, and a perpetual will not can be used in the English language as a cannot. I could say, I can't, kill my best friend. Obviously, I have the physical ability. What I'm talking about is a perpetual unwillingness to do that, right? It even says in the Bible, when it speaks about Joseph's brothers, it says they couldn't say anything kind to Joseph. Well, obviously, they had the physical ability, but there was a perpetual unwillingness in their condition to say anything kind to Joseph. And so Um, that means they couldn't
3: humble themselves and be reconciled to Joseph in any condition, right?
0: No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that in the condition that they were, in the condition they were, the Bible uses the word cannot. And it's clearly a metaphoric usage of the word cannot to have a strong sense of will not. They would not do
3: that. Just like the one who refuses to listen to the spirit call and the gospel uh, and stays in their, their state of unbelief cannot uh, be saved and they cannot understand yeah, the truth that. of God's word. If they refuse to listen and learn from the father, they can't understand him. They can't grow in him. They can't, uh, they can't understand, get, get the meat of the word, whether a Christian or not a Christian, like you mentioned in first Corinthians, yeah. uh, if, if they are natural a carnal people, they cannot grow in their spirituality unless they listen and learn from the father, but that's their yeah. doing, not God's. You yeah. Know, I don't have any problem
0: with that. The, what I have, a, the, the thing is though, in my mind is if in fact, the Bible teaches unconditional election, and it does teach a type of inability. What I'm suggesting is that the inability refers to a description of people who otherwise could believe but refuse to do that. Like John chapter the 3. for that the, What the cause is, is their choice. And John chapter 3 says that this is the judgment, 319, that people refuse to come to the light, right? That's rejecting the gospel, to come to the light is to believe. That people refuse to come to the light lest their evil deeds be exposed. For everyone who practice evil hates the light and to come to light, lest their evil deeds be exposed. So to me, the issue is man's, the, the issue in my mind is man's free will, or at least under this system I'm trying to present here, as a, you can say it's not true, that's fine, but it's logically consistent. If in well, here, fact let me, nobody, go ahead.
2: Let, let me ask you this, I guess. Um, it, when you when you say, and, and by the way, we're we're at, at an hour and five minutes, just so you know JD because I, yeah, I, I saw that working with that., um, yeah, so sorry. I just want you to be aware of that. Uh, I don't want to like you know, blow over
0: that. No, I have, I have a little more time, yeah.
2: Okay. Um, so so I, I think when when we start talking about uh, analogies or allegories for what we're trying to convey, uh, we often get kind of caught up in individual instances of, of what we're talking about rather than where the analogy is really supposed to be helpful. Um, yeah. I think I think when you say um, that, because what you've described so far and what you've agreed with so far in this episode is not compatibilism. It's been the source libertarianism yeah. that Leighton and I both agree with. And mm-hmm. so you've basically gone outside of, of the, the normal realm of of what an exhaustive decree under the Calvinistic worldview would normally look like. And it's kind of separate and distinct from that. It's unique. Okay. So I'm acknowledging that about you. Right. And so in that, because I'm acknowledging your view specifically, um, I guess what, what then would be the, the use of total depravity if it's only descriptive language for something you think is actually libertarian free will, why call it total depravity? And why continue thinking that it has anything to do with Calvinism as yeah. Calvinism has been traditionally described?
0: Okay, so so two things I would say is uh, I would highly recommend everyone uh, buy the book from Randy Alcorn card, um, Hand in His Hand, um, how God's sovereign choice or sovereignty is related to meaningful human choice. And you'll see that this is not just my view. Uh, Randy Alcorn actually holds his view as well. I will also point out that Leighton Flowers, Thankfully, uh, he quoted the 1689 pointed out the 1689 believes that Adam had libertarian free will. Well, right, but anybody... that's
2: incompatible with the idea of an exhaustive decree. So you've made Bingo.
0: That that's right. right, Joshua. So the 1689 is not compatibilistic because if libertarian free will, a single instance of human libertarian free will is incompatible with determinism, which it is, right? Because God determines and causes everything. Everything means everything. Mm-hmm. then the 1689 must not be compatibilist either, right? Well, Does that make sense?
2: Well, you aren't compatibilist either, though. You've already no, exactly.
0: That. So I'm just saying that I'm it's not so here. alone. I'm not so alone anymore, right? Because well, the 1689, demonstrating a confessional document, d- is not a
3: Calvinistic source can, can, Demonstrating the Calvinistic source is not consistent doesn't mean that the people who wrote that source don't hold to compatibilism. Um, they I, may well, hold uh, to compatibilism, which is what which I would I, think,
0: which I think is uncharitable of these people who uh, knew their document and understood. I mean, you don't need to know anything about compatibilism except the basic definition of determinism to immediately see. Oh, wait a second. We can't hold libertarian free will. <laughs> Not even a single instance. So, I mean, these guys were dummies. There's no other way to really view it. Is there just dummies? And of course, I don't believe that these people were dummies when they wrote this confession and all the other people reading it were simply dummies. But, you know, if someone wants to hold that view, then, then that's fine. I just, in charity, don't usually call people dummies uh, because people are usually very, very smart. Um, they can be inconsistent, no problem, but usually they don't make such foolish errors like think that libertarian free will is compatible with causal determinism. Like that's just a beginner's absolute definitional error. Um, anyways, that's a side point, though. I was just trying to point out, Joshua, that I might not be as alone as you, Suggesting that I am, in fact, alone. Well, I, no, but I, but, I was, I, but I'll I'll wasn't be alone. That you
2: were alone. My point was I was acknowledging that you aren't talking about yes Calvin's version of Calvinism. You're not talking okay. about Piper's version of Calvinism. You're talking about the one that you ascribe to as yes. distinct from those ones. So I was giving you that credit. I was oh, i Can you, you were making it up as you go. I don't think that's what okay, you're talking no about. problem. Uh,
0: sorry, can I, I, I?
1: Can I, I just I, read something real quick? Whenever we get done, Josh.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Um, I, okay. I, my my question was more so. Why Why is the total depravity that you just described yeah. supposed to be attached to the total depravity that any other Calvinist would be ascribing to if you think it's just a descriptor for people who okay. freely chose not to believe in God, whereas Leighton and I believe also that those are people who freely chose
0: yeah, not to believe do, in God,
2: and it has nothing to do with their ability or inability. It was their
0: choice. Dolly, yeah. do you still want to read that who can I answer that? Yeah, go ahead and answer it. Yeah, so the, the reason I, uh, I, I think that I go a different direction um, is because I take very seriously what Leighton Flowers is saying. Now, Leighton Flowers is not the first person to bring this up. <laughs> By right. no means, people have been saying this for a long, long time. All right. you have to do is think, think about this, right, and immediately recognize, wait a second, how could somebody command someone to do something they have no ability to do, right? And then get mad right. about them for not doing it. I mean, that is utterly mind-boggling. Um, and, and you look at the scripture, and the scripture teach that people are condemned for rejecting the gospel. It's not simply uh, the add-a-heap condemnation. I mean, Calvinists believe in the well-meant intention, the well-meant offer, right? Because there's so many scriptures that teach that this is well-meant, that God well, really does do. not I'm, desire. I'm asking
2: specifically about you. That's what yes. I'm saying not Calvinists. Yes, well, they do that. So that's, that's right. Is, but I'm saying don't I take— it for anybody else right now. That's that, yeah. that, That's not what I was saying.
0: No, I get that. But I'm just saying, though, if you take that seriously, you I think every Calvinist should take that seriously, right? To think about commanding someone to do what they utterly can't do and then get mad about them for not doing it and saying, actually, that's the reason that you're going to hell is because you didn't do what you couldn't do, right? I think you get into all kinds of serious problems when you run into that. But I think that if John three nineteen and 20, anybody can pull up that in their Bible if they want, is taken literally. You don't have to. There's other ways to explain that. That's fine. But if you take that literally, then that would teach you don't need people unable, right? What you need people is unwilling. That's all you need. All right, you need is not, unwilling not people, not, but, un, no. But, but here's guys, the thing, though. No, listen, if every, listen,
3: listen, every compatibilist I know says it's, it's their unwillingness. It, every, that's what compatibilism is. They're unwilling because of the nature that they were born with that's exactly what J.D. has been arguing. He just he, he wants to separate himself from no, I'm not saying that compatibilism that. because it seems to me, at least, J.D., forgive me, but it just seems to me you're trying to separate yourself from the deterministic aspects of Calvinism while still adopting the very thing that you say you're trying to distance yourself from.
0: But I'm not, I'm not saying that, Lane. I'm, I'm not saying that their nature— beyond,
3: All of these guys say that, that people— are choosing willingly to, to reject the gospel that they are, that they, they, they want to reject the gospel that they, it's, it is their yes, choice. They're, they're mixing the choice, that. Say, all they're of mixing
0: them that Leighton, they're worse off being young. I can never say his name as other people point we out is have yeah. very deterministic. I mean, it's he, a philosopher. I'm not really surprised by that. And I don't, Mm-hmm. claim that philosophers who know determinism are actually this deterministic, right? That, that's never been my claim. I've admitted that. Paul Helm, very philosophical, very deterministic. Uh, us more moderate Calvinists call these people hyper-Calvinists and crazies. But, but that's a the whole different discussion. To me, you keep reading into my statement, even though I desperately say not, that their nature forces them to reject. And I keep saying, I don't think so. I no, I think uh, they said, just- I never
3: said forces. I said well, that causes their nature determines in such them. a way that they will always want to hate and reject the gospel. Yeah, they're determined. Every compatible side know says that.
0: I'm saying it, you it's, don't it's, need it's,
3: that. It's determined yet. by their nature. It's you determined don't? by the inborn nature. That's what's determined by, which is that. in accordance with what God has decreed for them to have from birth due to the imputed guilt of Adam on them.
0: That's no, what but I, I don't think any of that is necessary. All I think what's really necessary it's just not necessary and and, and, and yeah, really it's just not necessary to say that, right? All we really need is hundred percent of people unwilling to believe in the gospel. That's all you exactly actually need. Every,
3: every compatibilist says that, every one of them.
0: You need, well, yeah, I agree that they agree with that principle. That's what I'm saying though. All you actually need to kick the system off with total depravity. All you need, cause the whole system of total depravity, the the, the cash value of this is nobody will believe. Isn't that true? The cash value is nobody will believe, therefore, unconditional election. Therefore, because we do know people believe, me, you, all of us, right, believe, I'm going to go preach to people because I hope that there will be people who believe, we, people do believe. And so then, because total property is believed, then you have unconditional election that he selects people to believe because they otherwise wouldn't. Mm-hmm. But my foundation is not under determinism, my foundation is a libertarian free will position. Right. Right. So then then you have.
2: I think that's I think that's where it falls apart, though, is because the the idea of 100 percent, 100 percent of people will not choose the gospel is obviously not accurate. If 100 percent of people don't choose the gospel, that's not the world we live in. We do live in the world where people do choose the gospel. And you acknowledged earlier that the ones who don't could have because they didn't have an inborn inability unless yeah. you were just misspeaking
0: by saying it that way. No. Let me let me ask you Re- a question, Josh. Re- Re- cu-
1: Re- just- yeah. Real quick, yeah. Josh, um, because Josh and I have to be on the air in about 15 minutes. Um, oh, so let's yeah. start Yeah, let's start winding down a little bit. J.D., I'll let you answer that. Dr. Flowers, I will let you have the last word, and then we have got to bounce to do a show about Josh. What is our show about tonight? You want to tell people who's listening if they want to tune in, kqqradio.com. Uh,
2: basically, our show tonight is going to be about uh, the... The practical implications of uh our our spiritual walk uh based on the 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 account of jesus's arrest and his trial and his experience as he descended from uh his ministry down into the uh the crucifixion and uh that's going to be something that i think is going to teach us a lot about self-discipline denying ourselves dying to ourselves and things like that it's going to be a little bit Uh, A little bit less philosophical than this one.
1: (laughs) Yeah, a little bit more practical. So, J.D., I will let you kind of keep two, three minutes if you could. Um, Dr. Flowers, I'll give you the last word on about the same thing, about two or three minutes, and then we will go. I want to thank you guys real quick just for joining us. We're going to have to have, I mean, to me, just real quick, it sounds like there's a lot of agreement on permission, uh, on the divine permission side, which, thank God. Thank God for that. It sounds like where the difference is, is really, and if you guys wanted to, we could focus on this at a previous or at another episode, unconditional election. Does God choose and then somehow effectuate sinners to come to him? Right. I think that that should be a discussion between all of us. Um, if, if we do a uh, determinism again, I think Chris date would be an awesome guest to have on um, because <laughs> we, we were talking about this and Chris is uh, basically chris's definition of compatibilism is this and this is what i was wanting to read earlier god predetermines everything we do and yet we can be held morally accountable that's his definition for compatibilism uh but jd like i said i'll let you uh have that in about two or three minutes we'll finish with dr Flowers, and again thank you guys so much for uh doing this i really appreciate it
0: yeah yeah sure. so um no, I appreciate Lane Flowers uh, talking. I understand. <laughs> uh, I appreciate him talking. I think I got some clarity uh, from some of his positions, and yeah. hopefully I, I didn't misre- misrepresent him or over-talk him or anything like that. It's just we try to talk as much as we can in the little time we have. That's uh, right. But, I, but he's, he's a God man. I really appreciate him. Uh, to Joshua's point, we again, we don't have really time to get into this, Joshua, but I, here's what I think that you believe. I think you believe that everyone could have responded positively to the gospel and that universalism could have been a state of affairs. Right? I think you believe that. And I think you believe that everyone who didn't believe in the gospel could have responded as well. So let's say there's, you know, I think it's about 90-10, about 10% of the population responds, 90 reject. But let's say you go up to 50-50. Well, it could have been 60-40, 70-30, 80-20, and so forth, and so on. Well, the question is, could it be, could only 1% of the population respond to the gospel and 99% reject? Is that possible? I think it is. I don't see why it couldn't be. And the reverse is also true, that 99% of the population could have believed and 1% reject. Well, if 99 could have believed and 1% reject and, and vice versa, then could 100% believe and zero reject? I think you would say yes. But if that's the case, could 100% reject? And then you say no, because that leads to compatibilism. Dis- no, it's, it's no, philosophically I
2: possible. I just yes. don't think that that's the world we
0: live in. Th- that's fine. That That's all That's all I wanted, right? Mm-hmm. As long as you grant that it's philosophical, po- philosophically possible without being deterministic, you granted my position. That's all That's all I'm saying. And so okay, the question is... Okay. Yeah, exactly. The question is, why do I believe that? And then we don't have time to get into that. But then that's where all of the Calvinistic proof texts come from. It's a scriptural argument, and it can be knocked down scripturally. I don't come to this philosophically. I come to this exegetically, and then I try to make sense of this philosophically, and I try to do my thinking and, and listen to Leighton Flowers and others, but really, I really, like I said, everyone should be able to see this. I, I really don't understand why people are not seeing this. Right. There are some serious problems with determinism from every level. So you Fair have enough. to abandon it. Right. Fair but enough. because you abandon that, I think is a is a fallacy to say, OK, therefore, Romans 9 can't be teaching unconditional election. No, I don't think you've done enough thinking. You don't need determinism for Romans 9 to teach unconditional election. And we didn't have any time to get into that. And I only got two minutes. so I'm not going to even try. But I am saying that you can build Save it for next time you can build <laughs> TULIP on a libertarian model, as long as you grant that it is philosophically possible that everyone could have free will and yet everyone reject. That's all you need. But God bless you guys. I really appreciate uh, you guys going. Uh, just please lift me up if you can. I'm going to go preach to some homeless people uh, because we believe the gospel can save Amen. and we believe mm-hmm. that there's still people out there to save. And yes, late friars, I believe that people have libertarian free will to respond. <laughs> and I believe that God, no matter what, I don't need to know anything about Calvinism to know if I go out and preach, there'll be people who respond. Praise the Lord. And I will hopefully see these people in heaven one day. So God bless yeah. you guys. Thank yeah. you for having me on.
1: Thank you, J.D. Well, and
3: I'll say, I appreciate JD's uh, demeanor. He's always been a kind, loving, humble, uh, interlocutor with me, even with, though we disagree on some points. I, I do get frustrated a little bit by some of his, his perspective, because it does seem inconsistent to me. But, um, you know, Calvinists seem inconsistent to me, to me also, and so do some Arminians. So that's just okay. the nature of these kinds of <laughs> discussions. He always handles himself very well in these kinds of discussions, and I, I appreciate that about him. That's a fruit of the Spirit in his life, I, I think. Um, and and he's, I've, he's demonstrated where he's come on and said, oh, I was wrong about this, or I should have done this, or he, he, he shows fruits of the Spirit, which I think is commendable in discussions like this. But I, I think it goes back to why do 100% of all people respond negatively to the gospel? Why? What is the answer to that? On Calvinism, the answer to that is original sin, which is by divine decree. Now, I don't know how JD gets around that. That's probably where my confusion is, is when you come to the why do 100% of people always say no to the gospel? Why would God send a gospel appeal to people where 100% of people would say no to it? A percentage can say yes to the Quran. A percentage can say yes to all these other weird world religions, but a percentage can't even, not even 1% of the people can say yes to Calvary. Not one. Why? Because God, for some reason, I, he created mankind with something in them, I don't know what it is, that makes them always say no to the law and the gospel, the Bible. That, to me, doesn't compute. And again, it could be a lack of my own intelligence, I admit that, it could be a lack of my own ability to understand where JD's coming from, I admit that, but when it comes down to why do you believe 100% of people would always reject the gospel unless they were unconditionally elected and irresistibly graced, then... Then really, there is no difference with a distinction that I can tell between what JD's promoting uh, by trying to hold on to libertarian free will while at the same time holding on to this concept and idea that 100% of people will always reject the gospel for some reason he never seems to lay out, and that's not fair for me to have the last word on that because I'm sure he would like to be able to to rebut that, and so uh, I, I will I will gladly come back on or maybe have him on my program or something where he can get. Uh, equal time to to reply to that, because I think that's really where the, the debate lies as
0: can't far as. can't do that to me, Layton. can say right. that and leave. <laughs> JD,
1: let me ask this, J.D., can you do it in under like two minutes?
0: No, it's, it's fine. It let, no, no. Not that okay. good, huh? We'll have, we'll have, hopefully, Lord willing, we'll have another conversation to, to have that. But I'll just yeah. leave everyone to conclude that I'm absurd. <laughs> and uh, this view is just retarded so that's we love why. you
1: man we love you so, and no i love you guys thank you so much again for uh joining us tuning in and dr flowers jd martin thank you guys especially for uh joining us for this discussion again if you guys are still watching keqqradio.com josh and i will be on there at 7 3 p.m to discuss practical Christianity, not the philosophical uh, side this time, but practical, how do we live our lives, sanctification, all that fun stuff. So join us
0: there. See you guys. Thanks, brothers. Thank you. Thank you.